Poetry night rings through. He comes from every angle. Hold the seat above your head. Lucas Nightum, everybody. A big welcome. Yay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to start off with a poem, and then I'll probably talk about myself a little bit. She smokes in bed. I wake up and find ash in the creases of my bedsheets. She wakes up and finds ash in the creases of our bodies. I make us breakfast. It's just cereal. Uncoincidentally, the same thing we ate before we went to bed. I like to think that eating the same thing before and after bed creates continuity in an otherwise sporadic relationship. She smokes in bed. Sometimes we don't sleep in bed. Sometimes... We do other things. Sometimes we play board games. Clue is my favorite. I am getting good at Clue. I always play as Colonel Mustard, even though she tells me I should play as Professor Plum. She says Professor Plum is much more fitting for my personality, but I say who wants to be a professor when you can be a colonel? That night, I dream of condiment wars. She smokes in bed. We watch House of Cards. I point out every scene with product placement and explain how all art suffers under capitalism. She says Kevin Spacey does a pretty good southern accent. I agree. She smokes in bed. We get happy hour drinks downtown. Over my ties, I explain to her the concept of ethnographic writing. She thinks she could beat me in an arm wrestling contest. I have too much pride to find out. She rolls her eyes. I give her a piggyback ride home. She smokes in bed. I tell her that I can't stand being around people who only talk about their pets. She asks me what I wish they would talk about instead. I tell her something interesting, like how physicists believe the moon is too big to have not been part of the earth at some point. She says she wants to own a bulldog. I explain that most scientists think the moon came from what is now the Pacific Ocean Basin. She says she would name the bulldog Ganja. I have stopped listening and am now reading the moon's Wikipedia page from my phone. She says she would make Ganja the bulldog wear sweaters. I tell her bulldogs suffer serious cardiac and respiratory issues due to hundreds of years of overbreeding to be physically appealing to humans. She gets mad at me. I resume reading about the moon. She smokes in bed. I get ready for work. She does her makeup. I ask her what she plans to do today. She asks me if her eyeliner looks symmetrical. I say, it looks fine to me. This is apparently the wrong answer. She smokes in bed. I come home from work with burritos and 1% milk. She says, buy 2% or go fat-free, you indecisive fucker. I also bought Fig Newtons. She smokes in bed. I tell her we should take the burritos to the waterfront and catch the sunset. She says she's still wearing her asymmetrical eyeliner. I tell her that's okay, because the sunset will be asymmetrical too. She smokes in bed. She stares out over the water. I wrap her in my sweatshirt without asking. 
She thinks it's cute when I do this and cups her hands around my big, dumb face. I try to kiss her. She ducks the blow like a featherweight champion. I'm still knocked out after the ten count. She smokes in bed. I nibble her earlobe. She swats me away. A few minutes later, I lean in really close and whisper, Bernie Sanders. She gets out of bed. She did not think that was very funny. She does not think I am very funny. She smokes in bed. One night, her hair catches fire. She says she isn't too worried about it. I try not to act too worried about it. She smolders in bed. I wake up. She's gone. I find ash in the creases of my bed sheets. She smoked in bed. Thank you. I think I'm going to throw my papers all night tonight. That felt really good. So, hi everyone. My name's Lucas. I have not been taking writing seriously for that long. And I say that every month because it seems like I'm taking it more seriously. I guess the first, I slammed probably about a year ago, first time at the Wright Riot in January. I won that a couple times. That's a lot of fun. I might be slamming on Thursday. <laughs> it might be a slam down in the ham town. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that'll be that'll be my slam, the Hamtown slam. <laughs> okay, so uh yeah, so I just got my associate's degree at Wacom Community College last year. This year I'm taking a year doing community service and uh then I'm going to go to Western and probably study literature if I can find a way to pay for it. So that's cool. But I mean, all I really care about is reading every word I can find and writing every word and dying poor. So that's cool. <laughs> anyway, anyway it happens. So I'm going to read another poem. So uh I didn't really care about anything in high school, but when I got to college, for whatever reason, I had my first midlife crisis, and I started caring about everything, and I actually ran for student government, and I became the student president of Whatcom Community College. And one thing I did uh, while I was doing that was I advocated for cheaper school because it drives me crazy that I have to, like, be super poor in order to make my world a better place. So this poem's kind of about that. This one's called Suitcases, an Unsubmitted Scholarship Essay. It always surprised me how easy it is to throw 20 years in a suitcase, throw it in the back of a two-door sedan, and go off to college, off to college, off to college. You think it would be more difficult to squeeze 20 years of restless days and sleepless nights in between our socks and sweatshirts and go off to college, off to college, off to college. But it's not. And I'm waiting at home like a faithful labradoodle for them to come back. But I don't know if they'll ever come back because I'm nothing to no one when everyone goes off to college, off to college, off to college. While their parents paid for their football gear and Honda Civic, some nights we skipped dinners and they got sent off to college, off to college, off to private college. And I'm still standing here. Am I the one hand clapping? Am I the tree falling in the woods when no one's around to hear me snap my twigs like fingers? Or maybe I'm the two hands clapping when I'm happy and I know it. I don't mean to sound ungrateful. You certainly owe me nothing. But how many more times am I going to have to scribble out my sorry-ass life story in a thousand words or less before it stops feeling like the only reason a poor person could ever become successful is because rich people love underdog stories? And I respect you. I really do. But you have to respect my anger at the fact I have to sell my pain to you for you to see the value in me. 
I'm sorry, but the road I had to walk to get here will not fit in that suitcase. It will not fit in this essay because it barely fits into my poetry. And to tell you the truth, I could really use a hand a lot more than I could use a handshake. And some days I could use a wishing mill a lot more than I could use these well wishes, but please remember that I am an investment, not a charity case. And I know you don't have all the answers, but I was never asking for all the answers, just this one. Are you going to call me an inspiration, or are you going to help me become one? Thank you. It always feels good to like perform that one, just to like get that off my chest. So I don't have anything to sell you or anything. I have a website, LN Writing, like the letter LN Writing.com. Not writing, but like writing. And uh, I'm working on a chapbook. I was actually, I reached out to one of my friends to design the cover because she's a super talented artist. She's like, oh, send me a few poems and I'll, I'll design the cover off of that. So I sent her a few poems. She's like, I'm going to draw an illustration for each poem. I'm like, that's really cool. So it might be like a half poem, half art book. But it's going to be really sick, and that will be coming out in the future. And also, another thing you want, if it, this, I don't benefit in any way, but um, about a year ago now, I was filmed in a documentary for MTV called White People. One thing I do a lot of is social justice education and work with racial justice. And so I, it's on YouTube. It's called White People. If you Google MTV White People, the first result will, you'll actually see my face. My face is the little clip art thing. So I would just suggest watching it if you, it's really good. It's really good introductory work into white privilege and stuff. And that stuff's important because that's the other side of racism. On a different note, one thing I love is fashion. <laughs> But I also am so disillusioned with fashion because it's a horrible pollutant and it's so classist. But the art of it is, is amazing. So this one's kind of about that. Mm -hmm. This one's called 15 Tips for Dressing Yourself in the Morning. Number one, white is the color of cocaine and love songs. Do with that information what you wish. Number two, black is the color of coffee and starless poetry and thus should not be underestimated. Number three, if you find yourself by sea, drink port and wear navy. Chase lighthouses to find yourself at home. Number four, high heels are an orthopedic health risk. Use sparingly. Number five, let the cut of your cloth remind old dogs which tricks they can and cannot learn. Number six, makeup is war paint. Carry a tomahawk in your throat and scalp balding skulls clean. Number seven, no hats, no exceptions. Number eight, wear your heart on your sleeve, a pink carnation on your lapel, and your intentions on your tongue unless it rains. Hide it all. Number nine, despite what your parents told you, tattoos do not last forever. You do not last forever. Number ten, the best accessory in the only timeless classic is constant laughter and attractive friends. Number 11. If you meet someone new, dress as so they won't second guess ever meeting you. Number 12. If you meet someone a second time, dress as so they are meeting a different part of you. Number 13. Keep them guessing. Never let them leave their fingerprints on your coattails. Number 14. Take careful measure to ensure that your exits are as smooth and as French as your cigarettes. Number 15.
Tradition dies, but fuckery lives forever. Well, thank you. And just a note on that poem, a lot of people thought that was an anti-tattoo poem. Well, I've had a couple people say that. I love tattoos. I just can't pay for them. So, all right. I know. I'll be freaking painted. And I still won't last forever. But, uh, so, this, I have one more poem, but this is a 12-page, four-part poem. <laughs> I always said uh, the first time I feature, I would read this. So, I wrote this poem, uh, Kind of, I, I designed my own course at Whatcom about the beat generation, the beat poets, specifically a, like a critical cultural analysis of them, like the ways they were kind of bad <laughs> in terms of what they did. So I kind of, my final for that project is I, I did a creative writing piece kind of inspired by Ginsburg's Howl but also kind of critiquing culture, specifically of my hometown. So the title of this poem, I'm from Linden, which is just up north, um, so the title of this poem is Clompin' Dancin'. Does anyone know what Clompin' Dancin' is? It's the wooden shoes, you know? And uh, it's it, it was an interesting poem to write, just reflecting. And it's a poem I've I've been working on ever since. That was about a year ago. I'm just slowly adding and subtracting stuff to it. And uh, I think it's interesting, too, because, I mean, I do so much work with whiteness and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I forget, like, on my dad's side, I'm pretty, like, we're pretty fresh immigrants from the Netherlands. Like, my dad was born here a couple weeks after they immigrated. Like, going to my grandma's house, they would be speaking Fries. And uh, so that's, that was just something I've been exploring a little bit. So this one's called Clomp and Dance, and it's in four parts. I'm going to take pauses. Dedications for the hometown which never was but always will be. For the dizzy angels who dwelled there, for my brothers. Part one, erasure. Over a fuzzy intercom, we were called upon to make etchings in the sketchbooks of time. We were educated and erased. Educated and erased. Educated and wandering aimless with a slice of square pizza. Aimless without aim. Aimless without trajectory. Yet infectory and resurrectory. Entering town through the cemetery. Carving initials and epitaphs into bark and virgin birth tombstones. Clawing at the underside of this dirt to become legendary in this sedentary estuary. Hopeless and aimless. Pro-life and pro-gun. Professional yet unconfessional. Conditionally traditional and without aim, clenching a fistful of crumpled homework assignments like chakras, too smashed up to be turned in for credit at the bottom of a Costco backpack. We place them under a dictionary for a few hours to flatten out, but they have still to flatten me out. I'm still a fightin', zigzag lightning to be found frightening when I speak of enlightening. Dark hallways of nightlight youth peeking out from under blankets to I spy the truth of a town with too many churches per capita that cares more about a football record than a clan history, where we were given diplomas and declared perfected, state inspected, led on a path to become like our parents, whitewashed diet pill bio machines, working at refineries, partaking in the finer things like misogynist country music, franchise sports bars, and Jesus Sundays, but I spilled out the mold, colored over lines by acting out, and the big secret was that I wasn't. And that I wasn't included in the yearbook, my name absent from the tribune of graduating seniors, and nobody, not even one body, noticed. Because a hometown is where you can live and die, and never be missed, yet be French-kissed by an old-world cyst until you no longer resist being dismissed. 
Part 2. Dim Souls Wandering in Plimsolls. But is there truth in anger? More importantly, is there room for anger in truth? Don't you remember the other parts? Can't you remember them? Don't you remember the palaver passed on afternoon sidewalks? Can't you remember Cedar Court, Grace Baptist, Depot Road, North and South Park Street, the cow field? Don't you remember playing the poor white kid in the production about a rich white 50s diner town where we walked for hours on flat rubber soles until our feet went numb just to be anywhere but home? Were we ever home? Did you forget that with your fancy job? With your iron shirt, iron pants, iron sole, where do you hide the creases? They are still there. They have to be. Where did you go? Why did you leave us? Don't you remember us? Can't you? Don't you remember the church bells echoing on the hour? Can't you remember how insignificant they sounded? How insignificant they were? Don't you remember the Farmer's Day Parade, eating puffridges and stroop waffles? Can't you remember the wooden shoes and koi fish? Don't you remember Sinterklaas and how the lighted Christmas parade would fall on your birthday? Can't you remember the Pioneer Museum owned by a grumpy old man who yelled at you for leaning your elbows on the display case? Don't you remember learning to O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad? Can't you remember working at that retirement home with 156 residents and all but one of them was white? Don't you remember self-watering lawns? Can't you remember sitting at lunch tables surrounded by people who wouldn't talk to you? Don't you remember the abstinence assemblies? Can't you remember being taught natural selection in biology class before it was undermined with a lesson on creationism by the track coach science teacher? Don't you remember being stopped by the police while walking home for carrying a bag of gas station penny candy? Can't you remember the Vans and Vanders playing three-on-three tournaments in celebration of the raspberry crops picked by the immigrants our parents taught us to hate? Don't you remember the anti-gay coffee shops that expanded over county lines with drive-through lines crowded with gas-guzzling freedom machines and hair-dyed soccer moms? Can't you remember being taught the dangers of marijuana while drunk classmates punched girlfriends on Saturday nights by the river? Don't you remember being told that rifles were safe than Muslims? Can't you remember those church-sponsored vacation to Guatemalan orphanages where beliefs in reverse racism were reaffirmed and the missionaries felt good about themselves as they nickel-dimed away brown poverty while the congregation drank instant coffee in the air-conditioned pews? Don't you remember the lifted mudding trucks parked outside the, natural fast, the national fast food chains where the farmer boys were Romeos and slung homophobic slurs like frisbees? Can't you remember being left in corn syrup nightmares while kids with familiar with familiar, familial European names rubbed genitals to shitty music and called it prom night. Don't you remember those who protested in front of the post office holding pictures of black presidents with Hitler mustaches? Can't you remember selling weekends to those lucky to have enough to have weeks that end? Don't you remember the teen mothers whose lives were stolen not by a pregnancy but by town slut-shaming gossip until they moved or dropped out? Can't you remember teams winning state titles that made newspaper headlines while you ate plates of nothing dinners? Don't you remember when we too dropped out can't you remember the first time you found needles in our room can't you remember the morning of the divorce don't you remember the first pole punched in the wall can't you remember the last can't you remember the night mom got the phone call about the overdose don't you remember all the secrets we got so good at swallowing down with paper cups of optimism can't you remember their chalky taste don't you remember being told the squeaky wheel gets the oil can't you remember wishing you were more squeaky are you squeaky enough now where did you go? Why did you leave us? 
Why did you go off to college, off to college, off to college? Why don't you wear plimsolls anymore? All right. Part three. Thank you all, by the way. Part three. I'm going to have to stand back. Oh, dizzy angels. Oh, alchemists of redemption who spin threads of time to weave webs of memories. Oh, great mountains of forbearance. Oh, those who spoil the pot, those who entered and left the no-spin zone, who chewed up God like a gummy vitamin before swallowing him, who broke jaws on merry-go-rounds, who smoked out strangers in the jade slide at City Park with no guilt or shame, who wore Hot Topic rave pants and occupied the library, who etched pagan art into desks and were suspended because the principal mistook them for satanic symbols, who stood up for the one openly non-Christian teacher while others left Bibles on her desk, who skipped out with visita- on visitations with imprisoned mothers to spend birthdays with me in Tacoma. Oh, great garage doors of repentance. Oh, love seats of amber grain. Oh, compostable Sundays. Oh, combustible conversations on boardwalk Wednesdays. Oh, patio scouts. Keen watch keepers watching o'er the watchmen, who started libertarian clubs and told tall tales of Wisconsin Waldorfian education, who wore potleaf rasta pajamas, who fell asleep under glow-in-the-dark star stickers, who yelled at, who were yelled at by the band teacher for not knowing how to tune a guitar by ear, who carried out unnecessarily clandestine operations to smoke joints out outside of Mr. Alexander's classroom, who unashamedly played Crazy Train at the middle school talent show, who remained to this day the most attractive person to ever beat me in a wrestling match. Oh, crooked lampshades and countertop psychonauts. Oh, bottle rocket scientists of worldly acclaim. Oh, unexpected gardeners squatted up with the humanitarians and leaf readers. Oh, Baptist defectors and 70s rock and roll resurrectors, phallic monument erectors, Old Testament taste testers who taught me how to jam skate in a blacklight under a Friday night disco ball, who nicknamed me Bones from behind a concession stand and served pitchers of refreshment, who all wanted to play wizard's chess who spent lunches in the library reading Aragon or playing Bloons Tower Defense, who refused to drink alcohol because they didn't want to disappoint Bruce Lee, who nicknamed me Biffy and moved to a small town in Idaho and apparently broke off a marriage with a rodeo dude or something who taught me the true meaning of Christmas was eggnog and rum and getting into a fight with a Dutch boy bigger than me. Oh closet existentialist and jiffy pop transcendentalist Oh, unmarked eulogizers and botanical synthesizers. Oh, ice cream truck chasers and intimate fear facers. Oh, cicadas and grasshoppers howling at the new moon, cursing in unison until it forms a nocturnal chorus, who fly like dragonflies to the cities to return as locusts to clear the dairy farms and corn mazes of hate, doom, despair, misinformation, maleducation, who answer cries to anger or calls to anger with cries of forgiveness, holding tomorrow's cups in their hands like rainwater, who pirouette wearing wooden shoes, forever smiling while dancing on splinters. I'm forever dancing on splinters, smiling, twirling, pirouetting on splinters, pins and needles, and I don't feel it. I'm used to the spin. I was birthed with the spin. I am the spin, and I may never be different. 
I'm only hiding the creases. My chakras are as smashed up as ever. There are plimsolls underneath these wooden shoes, but I'm still dancing, spinning, twirling, pirouetting on splinters, and I am with you, all my dizzy angels, still spinning and smiling through the pain wherever you may be. All right, part four, orchards. Come, let us decolonize the sidewalks, slab by slab. Come, let us scribble a thousand lopsided hearts in sidewalk chalk on every scraped knee driveway. Come, let us push poems into bottles and break them in the streets. Come. Let us pick apples in the orchard of those who wish to silence us. Come. Let us be ignored but never erased. Come. Clomp and dance with me under the silence of the indifferent moon. Let us break that silence. Let us break the skin of the stolen fruit with our reclaimed teeth. Come. Let us break what must be broken. Thank you all for listening. Dialing. Dialing. Four is a scary number. Four is more than three.